Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. This edition is sponsored by the Tricord Group, leading successful relationship constructs for over 25 years, and Vim, helping the architecture and design disciplines design, deliver, and operate better buildings for a better world. Greetings, I'm Dave Gilmore, and this is Design Intelligence. Well, over the last few weeks, we've had an opportunity to talk to several professionals and leaders from around the world to get their perspective on what's been altered coming out of this COVID-19 pandemic and how it's affected their practices, their everyday life. We asked them to contemplate the following questions. What lessons did you observe and adopt coming through the pandemic regarding the built environment industry, your practice, and your society? What do you predict to be the permanent changes in your region, in your industry, in your practice, and maybe in your life that will be adopted in the post-pandemic world? And thirdly, at Design Intelligence, we hold that equity, healthiness, and the environment are inextricably linked. How do you, as a planner or architect, an engineer or constructor, functionally apply such thinking to the work of the built environment industry moving forward? We recorded these conversations over a period of weeks, and so instead of me being able to have a direct conversation one-on-one -on -one like we usually do, you're going to hear a series of pre-recorded responses to these from these folks. They're rich, they're meaningful. I hope you'll take the time to listen. Today we're hearing from Rick Pizer. Rick has been the Michael D. Spear Professor of Real Estate Development at the Graduate School of Design at Harvard University since 1998. He is also director of the university-wide Real Estate Academic Initiative created in 2003. His primary research has focused on developing an understanding of the response of real estate developers to the marketplace and to the institutional environment in which they operate particularly in the areas of urban redevelopment, affordable housing, and suburban sprawl. Rick's wisdom reaches over several decades, and it's worth listening to his responses to our three salient questions. I've been doing research on office buildings for a long time, and the uh, hot issue uh, just before uh, COVID hit was everything office owners were doing uh, to make their buildings places that tenants wanted to spend more time at. And so there's a whole set of innovations about making uh, the offices places where they can have recreation, places where they can take the dogs out. Uh, there's a lot of accommodation for WeWork uh, and, and many developers doing their own in-house co-working, uh, which I think is part of what helped put WeWork out of business. Now, we've been in this period where uh, the occupancy in office buildings uh, has been very low. Harvard, uh, for example, went uh, on uh, essentially lockdown uh, from last March, and the campus has not been open since. Uh, even to go into your office to pick something up has been, uh, we require special permission. And so, I think we've all learned to operate in a virtual environment. I, I was just on a presentation call with uh, Laura Hines Pierce, Jerry Hines's uh, granddaughter, who's now uh, working with her father in the office of the CEO. And uh, she was saying that most of their offices have been virtual, and the only people 
who have even been going into the offices, uh, uh, at least from the Heinz organization, are the property managers. So uh, I, I think we've just seen a, a sea change in the way offices are operated. And I think the expectation is that many people will be spending a lot more time working at home even after COVID is over. However, uh, there are some interesting changes that uh, I've been hearing about uh, that are not necessarily leading to the disaster in office buildings that one might expect as a result. So uh, one big change we're seeing is that the trend towards smaller and smaller office space per person, which is now uh, uh, 20 years ago, it was 250 square feet per occupant in an office building in the United States. Uh, and that was trending down uh, well below 150 feet. And even in some of the newest uh, buildings where you had uh, hot desks and a lot of sharing of, of uh, office space, where they were getting it down to 100 square feet a person. I think because of COVID and the need to be uh, uh, further away from uh, your uh, fellow office workers, uh, that trend is going to be reversed and that the amount of space per person is going to go up and we will see a return to more private offices and probably uh, a reversal of the trend toward the uh, uh, shared offices and hot desks. Another trend that I think we're going to see is uh, in the vacancy rates of suburban office, which were sky high uh, before COVID. And uh, with COVID, there has been renewed interest in suburban office buildings. And I think across the board, uh, a uh, this is sad, a sad reversal in what's been a uh, decade-long trend uh, that we've called return to the city. And that's really benefited the CBD uh, both in terms of offices and residential. And I think uh, we're uh, in the process of seeing uh, uh, people moving back to the suburbs. Uh, this is going to be a long-term trend that I think is going to take years to play out, but it is going to make it make the excitement that was happening in CBDs and, and central cities less so. Now, when we switch to retail, uh, you are uh, very aware, I'm sure, of the move to online retail. And um, I think the big surprise on retail is that uh, on the one hand, uh, we're seeing an acceleration of trends that have been going on for a long time in terms of, uh, of large malls uh, being out of favor and, uh, and going into bankruptcy. This is a trend that's really been going on uh, since before the year 2000. And the virus has accelerated that trend uh, so that malls that were marginal before are even more marginal or bankrupt now. What we're not saying is that uh, neighborhood shopping centers are falling out of favor. Uh, one of the big winners during COVID were uh, grocery stores and stores catering to all the people eating at home. And so neighborhood centers actually have been doing uh, quite well and I think will continue to do well. And frankly, I'm also expecting there to be a real return to restaurants and bars and activities that people have been uh, uh, so frustrated about not being able to do. Having uh, spending time in Boston, which has been very uh, serious about uh, people wearing masks and having the shutdowns of restaurants and gyms and uh, bars and other activities to bring people together so that we are slowly now coming out of that. And I also spend time down in Dallas, Texas, 
where uh, nobody's wearing masks. Uh, the restaurants are packed. There is little social distancing. And for all intents and purposes, it, it looks and feels pretty normal. Uh, similarly, I spend time in Southern California and just comparing Orange County to uh, Los Angeles. Orange County is much more open and there's a much more a feeling of normalcy. And uh, while there's still limits on how many people can eat in restaurants, there's the feel that they are, are starting to uh, return to a pre-COVID uh, environment. Los Angeles, which has had a higher uh, incidence of the virus, uh, is behind Orange County in that return to normalcy. But I think as the uh, limitations come off of what people can do, we're going to see a pretty rapid uh, bouncing back of life in the retail activities that bring people together. Yes, I think we're going to see a, a lot of permanent changes that we're only just now beginning to become aware of. As I mentioned, I think the biggest permanent change is a reversal, and I'm sad about this, but uh, a reversal of the return to the city. On the one hand, people have found that they can work from more remote locations and enjoy it. They don't have to be in the office every day, and this is going to lead to more people living in more distant suburbs and in exurban locations. And it's also going to feed the markets in resort areas and, and, and beautiful areas where people want to uh, normally thought of as vacation places. And now they'll see them more as uh, living places. Now, there's also permanent changes I think we're seeing uh, in the industrial space. Uh, industrial buildings, of course, have been one of the big winners during COVID as uh, the switch to more uh, online activities has created a, a big step up in demand, uh, not only for last mile warehouses, uh, which are what Amazon and the other Walmart and the other major distributors need, but also the recognition that the, uh, the whole trend toward just-in-time inventory management, where you have as little inventory in place as you can possibly get away with, so you're not paying for it and you're not paying for the warehouses to hold that, that uh, now the recognition that, uh, well, one, the virus probably is not just going to go away forever and that we're going to see more. There will be other viruses and other pandemics and other disasters that happen on a more regular basis. I think we're going to see a permanent change in the reversal of the just-in-time inventory management toward uh, having more inventory on site. Um, this is being played out right now uh, throughout many industries, but um, I've been astonished, for example, uh, I'm paying $100 a day to rent a car in Dallas that I used to get for $9 a day. And part of the reason for that is that the car manufacturers aren't delivering cars because they're missing parts that they don't have on hand. So I think we're definitely going to see uh, a looser inventory management, uh, which is going to require uh, more warehouse space uh, to hold the inventories and frankly, higher prices uh, that result from that. Each property type has its own uh, changes, which I think are going to be fairly permanent. Uh, getting back to retail for a moment, uh, what is somewhat of a surprise is that as we return to normalcy, there uh, is a, an immediate reduction in the level of sales that are online. And uh, while I think people have managed to get by with their uh, online purchases of uh, both necessities and luxury goods, people love to shop and they love 
what happens in those great shopping environments. And so we're seeing a pretty rapid drop in, in just what is the level of uh, online sales. I just saw some numbers for China where uh, the sales uh, have dropped from about uh, 20% uh, back to around uh, 10 to 12%. And I would expect to see similar drops uh, in the U.S., even in the face of what is a long-term trend, I think, toward more online sales. Also, uh, one of the big changes with retail, which happened long before COVID, is uh, the importance of doing multi-channel marketing if you're a retail store, where you've got a bricks and mortar distribution and sales coupled with online sales, and then Sales like Apple, which have very busy showrooms, but then uh, you go in to the Apple store and will order your uh, computer online. You won't necessarily walk out of the store with it. So uh, these are changes that I think will continue. The equity issues that have to do both with distribution of wealth and also the need to have a more diverse workforce, that, that's having a complete change in the way we operate, what we emphasize, and the seriousness uh, with which we're trying to understand uh, both how that has affected our history and how we got here, and the uh, ingrained uh, racism that, uh, you know, has shown up in everything from uh, prohibitions against minorities living in certain neighborhoods to uh, ongoing uh, prejudices that affect how much people make and the types of jobs that they're able to get. And so there's a real pressure right now and thoughtfulness, I think, um, certainly within the academy, but I think it's also happening in many of the people I'm talking to in industry who are looking at social equity, both in how they do business, but also in how they're investing their money. So uh, related to that is the, uh, and this is one of the things we're actually studying at Harvard, which are what would the metrics be for uh, uh, ESG, which is uh, uh, environment, uh, the social fabric, and governance. And so these are all critical issues, and they're frankly guiding how we are looking at what we teach uh, both in uh, urban planning and in real estate, where I'm very active. On the issue of health, of course, this has been a hot topic for a long time, but I think it's uh, getting even more attention now, uh, not just in terms of how you design and deliver healthy buildings and more efficient buildings for the environment with a huge emphasis on how to reduce uh, carbon emissions and provide for sustainable energy, but uh, even getting back to what I was saying initially about uh, amenities in the office, one of the things that's been driving uh, these amenities in the office building is the recognition that part of having a healthy work environment is having uh, access to the outdoors, having uh, exercise facilities, uh, walking paths, and of course, creating an environment that people really want to spend time in. When we talk about the environment, uh, there are so many aspects of that which have been crucial in the evolution of the built environment, I'd say for the last 20 or 30 years, and uh, those forces are only gaining in importance each year. Uh, and uh, it isn't just the virus, which I think has, uh, has created even more pressure to respond to changes in the environment more quickly. 
but uh, everything we're seeing uh, as that relates to climate change, both in terms of the increasing number of disasters and uh, elevated temperatures, uh, th- that is accelerating uh, the uh, pace at which we're trying to uh, reduce the uh, energy loads uh, that buildings impose. Buildings, especially existing buildings, are still among the worst offenders of uh, excess energy consumption. And fixing that is not uh, something that happens overnight, but it also presents a great opportunity, I think, for developers and investors and certainly those designers who uh, focus on how to make buildings more energy efficient and also healthier. So these trends, which have been going on for quite some time, are accelerating now. And uh, all the things that are going on, uh, especially relating to climate change, is uh, simply reinforcing uh, the the pace at which those changes are happening and also where money and innovation is going. Insight Empowered Foresight is a tagline that we've trademarked here at Design Intelligence. I hope you heard both insight and foresight in some of these remarks. Until next time, I'm Dave Gilmore, and this is Design Intelligence. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of This Is Design Intelligence, sponsored by the Tricord Group and Vim. The producer for This Is Design Intelligence is Laura Spells, sound engineering by Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.